So I've been thinking, I like our theme song a lot, but I was kind of wondering, like, what if we did Good Time by Owl City and Carly Rae Jepsen instead? Wait, really? I don't know. I want to. I know it's impossible because it would be so expensive. Are you looking up the price right now? No, that would be silly. Um, Welcome to Initiative Roll, a Dungeon Master's Guide to Mastering Dungeons. Oh, look, it's $7,000. Why are you playing stuff? I I, I was pulling up Good Time. I don't think that's fair use, dog. (laughs) Also, it would put our listeners in audio hell. No, my iPad storage is not full. Okay, let's start a podcast. Welcome to Initiative Roll, a Dungeon Master's Guide to Mastering Dungeons. I'm your host, Logan Johnson. And I'm your Dungeon Master, Nathaniel Johnson. Are we just going to end there? Like, yeah, I think that's probably, like, that's the whole podcast, right? Yeah, that's I like, think so. That's what we did. And we'll see you next when it's time to roll initiative. <laughs> yep. We didn't even close out. We didn't even close out with that anymore, hardly, because of Monster of the Week. Yeah, Monster of the Week. Hey, that's been in full swing. That's, that's been a thing swing. we made. Yeah, how have you guys been liking it? Were you just, do you want me to give them time to answer? Or? Yeah, I think it could be like an episode of Dora. Yeah, you can... <laughs> oh, I like that energy. Or like Blue's Clues. I was thinking more like, okay, tweet right now. <laughs> like, read your tweets real time. Because that's how this recording setup works. Right, right. But the Dora thing is better. I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Dora Watch 2019... <laughs> Did you go see it? No, I need to. Me either, and I feel like I should. I mean, I don't actually want to. You I don't too want to pay my own money on So it. you need to go. Yeah, but uh, anyway, let us know if you saw Dora. Dora and the Explorer. Dora the Explorer, Dora. <laughs> Good. By the way, that's why her name is Dora, because in Spanish, the word explorer is exploradora. Really? And, so and in she... Japanese, it's Toradora. Yes. It's Toradorable. Toradorable. Well, you know, like you said, this is a 2019 Dora Watch. <laughs> 2019 Dora Watch, Dora in the Lost City of Gold. It's it's a pretty significant time, I'd say. Um, yeah, it's good. I think that's the only thing we're seeing in theaters right now, which is not a good look for American <laughs> cinema right now. I mean, to be fair, you did basically have the end of the MCU this year. You say like that was even close to the best film released this year? Like... What did I see that was better? A lot of things, I'm sure. Fast and Furious, the new one, Hobbs and Shaw, that was excellent. <laughs> I, I liked it better. Than, honestly, honestly had more fun than I did in Endgame. Though, like, Endgame was, like, more technically impressive. I had more fun with the new Fast and Furious than I did in Endgame. That was a good movie. Um, Look, we do not have time for this on our that's show. That's true, that's true. And that's what today's episode is all about, actually, is time. Yeah. So it's ironic that we would dive into such a... Uh, a heady distraction early in the show. It's okay. We haven't even been recording for three minutes. It's fine. It feels like so much longer. I it promise. really does. We're at 2.56 right now. But so. the good news is that this is our first take, which means we're not going to repeat that Sisyphean pattern we've gone through so many times of pushing a take 15 minutes in and then watching the boulder fall on top of us. Right. Having to go push it from the bottom of the hill again. But you know what? I think this take is working out well. No, yeah, it's good. This is a good energy we're bringing to what yeah. we call a podcast. Where we treat our show like it's Dora the Explorer. Wait, what? Oh yeah, with lots of good, good, lots of good pauses for you, the listener, to have time to respond. Before we really get into the timing thing, I mean, I can't stress the importance of like good timing, right? Any more than I could. Um, but before we get into that, I want to just get into something a little more important, which is how's your week going? Oh, that's rough. Or good? No, it's not. 
I look. <laughs> They're listening to a podcast about D and D. It's not look, a good week. Oh, well, <laughs> that is, is that your implication there? <laughs> no, I was just saying these are tough times. <laughs> Hulk meme. These are confusing times. <laughs> Nobody look. It's all about perspective, all right? Either your week was good or it was bad, and it actually doesn't matter what happened in it. And I'm going to guess this bad week. Like, if you think about your week, it was probably really bad. Just bringing a pessimist perspective to him. With this big, this cheesy week. grit on your face our <laughs> listeners can't see. You look like the freaking Joker. I bet your week was real bad now, wasn't it? Uh, you want to know how I got these scars from recording podcasts and going off topic? <laughs> Let's go back to timing. No, so the significance of time. This was something that was brought up in a tweet to us. Uh, we were asked how to give your campaign a sense of urgency with time. Yes. So... I think the first question with that is, how do you even keep track of time in D&D? Or any role-playing game. Like, how do you personally keep track of time? I mean, literally the same way I keep track of time everywhere else, which is with a clock. I, like, this is, like, maybe just me. Like, maybe, like... I'm not usually the kind of person who's so swept away in the world of high fantasy that I can't glance at my watch. No, 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 no. That's not what I mean. I mean, in the in the fantasy itself, how do you keep track of like what day of the year it is inside of the game? Oh, uh, I don't. Okay. Well, that's not true because Monster of the Week, you're pretty intense about it. Yeah, and that could not be done live. That's fair. Like the like the the idea of like oh I'm gonna go through and like keep track of the day and the week and the hour and the minute. Without just, like, whimsically throwing it out. Like, oh, you guys have roughly 15 minutes left. And yeah. And, like, 30 minutes later saying, like, all right, guys, running out of time. Like, without throwing it out whimsically, it's it's pretty hard to do. Um, the amount of preparation and, like, work that it requires just to do it in Monster of the Week is astounding. And there I'm trying to coincide with real-world events like the VHS release of Batman and Robin. Have we gotten to that part in the recording uh, I don't think we have. Oh, we'll get there. I don't think we've even recorded that part yet, oh, let alone really? put it up. Shoot, we need to sit down and record some more of that. Yeah, we do. Um, but yeah, no, like, or like the release of the Sega Genesis, or the Sega Saturn, I think is what it I was. Think, I think so. Sega CD Master System, who knows? Yeah. Um, you have to coincide com CDI. With, yeah, <laughs> that's not a thing. What is it then? The Philips CDI. The Famicom is a Nintendo system. Get uh, out of here with that noise! <laughs> I will not accept it. Not you. Wah, 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 wah. Why are you coming in here and disrespecting my dojo? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sensei. I cannot wait to print on your your freaking gravestone. He died doing what he loved, disrespecting my dojo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very good epitaph. That's very yes, good. That's very good. Anyway, but yeah, I think like keeping track of like all of that in real time would be a lot more difficult. Uh, that's not to say it can't be done. I'm sure, like, a, a greater man than I could master it. All right, so I'll tell you what I do, then. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, but... Uh, bringing a real Ben Franklin energy to this. I like it. Yeah, what what I what I do is I will keep track of... I'll pick a day that the campaign starts, if I'm choosing to keep track of time. And then I will just, like, make a note during the gameplay itself of however many days have gone by during that session. Sure. And then later I'll update it, and I'll remind the players, okay, so it's such and such day, it's such and such month, or whatever. Yeah, if I were to give, like, an honest suggestion here, instead of just, like, shutting it down, I would say that, like, probably creating a calendar would yeah. be useful. Which is actually what brings me to the next point that I think is really cool. If you want to create a sense of urgency, you should, uh... I'm gonna rely on Avatar The Last Airbender here. Uh, Sozin's Comet is like this event that's going to happen in the world. And when they find mm-hmm. out it's going to happen, they have a calendar and they know we have X amount of time. Now, 
the show runs for exactly how long the show is going to run. Yeah, but that is not necessarily because of, like, the in-world calendar. I mean, they have a day to kill in-world. They go see a play, remember? Right, right, right. Like, <laughs> that's a yeah, thing yeah. that they do. I love that episode. Yeah, that's my point, right? So even if you've got a calendar with, like... Don't you remember critically acclaimed playwright Puan Tin? <sighs> who got all of his knowledge from a... Uh surprisingly knowledgeable salesman of cabbage. Yes. No, but this is my point, right? Sources include water tribe prisoners, Fire Nation soldiers, and a surprisingly knowledgeable salesman of cabbage. Such a good episode. If you have not, not seen good. any Avatar The Last Airbender, just go watch, like, the last five episodes and you'll like... I don't think that that's going to do it because, like, that last that episode that we are saying is so good builds so much on what already happened. Right. But no, this is my point. So the last four episodes are all revolving around this Sozin's Comet event. Yes. And it's a big deal, and it gives a sense of urgency the whole final season to everything they're doing. Sure. There are entire episodes where characters are arguing about what they should do next because they know they only have so much time before Sozin's Comet arrives. They don't have time to kill. Um, but, like you said, they also go see a play the episode before the series finale. Yep. Uh, what? Like, that's super weird. But it's because it's on a fixed calendar. Right. And so I think that that fixed calendar can be really useful to lending a sense of of timing to the world. A lot of really good games do this. Persona. We've all played Persona. All of us in this room have played Persona. Uh, the new Fire Emblem, Fire Emblem Three Houses. We've all played that. Great game. You know, I don't think I've played any of these games. Yeah, I know, because you're a heathen. Much like all of my friends. Um... No, but this this fixed calendar. So I'm just going to pick a day. We're going to say the summer solstice. You have the, the you just have on your fictional calendar written the end of the world and circled in big red pen like this is the important day. Well, there's no rule saying that the week leading up to the quote unquote end of the world has to take the same amount of time that all your other weeks have taken. Totally. Like you can stretch days out to be. I, like 48 hours instead of 24 without actually telling the players you've done that. You can give them more time. Yeah, this is actually a trick you can employ in the real world, too. How so? Schedule a flight for 7 p.m. and wait at the airport all day. Oh, look at that. I made a 48-hour day. You're the worst. <laughs> I made a 72-hour day, actually. It just gets longer and longer. Oh. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you can do it. You can just stretch out time. Um... But when you're doing that, what you don't want to lose, obviously, like, the reason this time stretches out so much in the airport is because there's no sense of urgency. Right. Right. And so you just end up sitting there. So let, let's talk a little bit about... I like the idea of setting things to a calendar. We'll actually talk about that a little bit when we go behind the screen. Yeah, we will. But let's talk about how you instill a sense of urgency. How do you make it so that they want to, like, make things happen in the time before? Have we ever talked about MIMS? Missions inside of missions? Wow, that's a poll, huh? That is a poll. Have we ever talked about it no, on this we show? Haven't. Do you want to explain it since since I brought it up? Do you want me to explain the culture reference or what a mission inside a mission is? What a mission inside a mission is. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious from the name. Like it's the secondary task that you're trying to accomplish on top of the first task. Uh, like in that great game we all played, um, Monster Hunter World. <sighs> I hate you. In that great game we all played, Monster Hunter World. Um, that you can get missions inside of missions, right? So you have your overarching mission to go hunt a greater Jagras or whatever. And then you have a smaller mission to, like, ah, oh, while you're there, like, cull 16 smaller monsters. Sure. Some really colonial elements in, yeah. in Monster Hunter World. Sounds like <laughs> it's it. It's nuts. It's brutal. But, yeah, like, 
this idea that like oh while you're there you're going to accomplish something else that's important is is really useful Right. So what are some examples of missions inside of missions that you think can inspire a sense of urgency? So what I like to think of is something that people can care about a lot. The individuals. It, it, the end of the world is not believable. It's too big for people to really buy into it in a lot of ways. Okay. Or to care about it because... Oh, look at that. I'm already skeptical of what you're saying, but keep going. That's fair. Uh there, there have been very few movies where, for example, you have the heroes facing the end of the world and they fail. Like, if you're facing the end of the world, people don't believe that the world is going to end. My my main ex- exception to that is Infinity War. Like, stop. That's my main exception. That's not an exception. We all... Th- this is like... Th- it actually proves your point. Right. What you're saying. Infinity War was not an exception to that. We right. all knew that they were going to lose. Well... Like, the snap was not that surprising. And once it happened, we were like, oh, but they'll fix it. Right. Right. Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers, if you haven't been on the internet. <laughs> like, ever. Ever. Um, um, by the way, Avengers are the bad guys. Don't Hashtag change my mind. Um, you're just saying that to be devil's advocate, stop. Yeah, I am. Uh, you no, don't feel that way. But no, like, you throw out the end of the world, there's no real sense of failure is a possibility. Um, but you make it a lot smaller and make the failure an option, like... One person's life is on the line. Right. People all of a sudden start buying into it right. a lot harder. That's uh, that's why, for example, uh, Spider-Man: Homecoming is one of my favorite movies. Small is because stakes. small stakes. Like, what's the worst thing that happens if Spider-Man fails? Vulture gets to retire in luxury from selling illegal arms. Oh no! Right. Like it. It sucks, but it's fine. Like it's okay. Yeah. The world will spin on. Um, which is what makes it so interesting, all the things that he does and that he faces in there. Um, so if you can create a mission inside of a mission, that's taking a small stake and putting it inside of your larger stake. So do you have any suggestions? What's the key in making this happen? Uh, creating likable NPCs that are in danger directly. Yep. That's, that's my that's suggestion. It. It's all about character. It's all about well, I, character. I hundred percent agree with you. I, I was hoping you'd go there because it's, it really is all about the individual characters that are, are likable. Uh, Michael Bay is really bad for this, right? Okay. You'll watch a transcript. Put him on blast. Okay, I don't even don't even get me started. I could put him on blast. I that know. was just like a mild scathe in his direction. I know. I could put him on blast. Dude has some issues. But Michael Bay does this, like, if you've ever seen a Transformers film, it doesn't matter which one. I Look, <laughs> sure. I've not seen them all. I guarantee this happens in all of them, all right? Okay. You've got, like, the Transformers at the end in the big climax, and they're battling and they're brawling. And, like, Michael Bay's way of appealing to the human element is to, like, show some rando mom with her kid. Yeah, She's, like, yeah, about yeah. to get crushed by a giant robot and mm-hmm. then get saved. And it's like, oh, cool, that was awesome, except for the whole, like, no emotional connection to this character. Right. Like, like obviously, I don't want to see a mom, but that, like, Michael Bay has his own issues we could talk about, but, like, that's why he uses a mom and a kid. It's yeah. just, like, nobody wants to see a mom and a kid get crushed. No. But it's shorthand for saying, like, I didn't want to write a character that was good. Right. I, he did write some of those movies, by the way, before you say he didn't. He no, did. I wasn't going to argue, and he I know. He did write some of them, not all of them. Uh, now, using a different example, a movie that people bash on a lot, but I actually think does this element of it really well, uh, Man of Steel. Okay. Uh, you see Metropolis kind of getting destroyed in the fight between Zod and Superman, but they frequently will keep showing you footage of Perry White and the other people who work at the Daily Planet kind of surviving in the rubble. Yeah. 
and trying to just survive. These are people that we've had interactions with yeah. throughout the whole movie. Not my favorite element of the film, but I see what you're trying to no, say. No, there are elements that people bash on that I absolutely love. I love Jonathan Kent's death. I'm a sucker. Anyway. Okay. But no, like, that's a thing that I remember going, oh, like, they're actually doing this well. They're showing some sort of urgency instead of just, oh, it's the whole city or it's the whole world. It's like, no, these are people that Clark knows yeah. and cares about. Yeah, you know what? I think, does it better? What? I don't know. Or OG Superman. Okay. There's the scene where he turns back the Earth. Sure, sure, sure. And rewinds time to rescue Lois Lane from the earthquake. He doesn't have to do that. That earthquake is only a present. The earthquake's not even the mission. Yeah. Like, and yet, here I am, so many years later, don't remember what was happening in that film. Yeah. I could not tell you, like, what the actual thing was. All I remember is that, like, to rescue the girl, who was important... Aside from all the world-saving stuff. Which he succeeds at all the other world-saving stuff before that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why he has to rewind time. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Such it's a bad so... plot. I love it. No, it's so good. It's like primo comic book. It, it really is. Um, He rewinds time. Can't even say it with a straight face. Just because it's so ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> he, he uses his flying backwards and under-ruse powers, I guess. Like... He does like he the the premise of physics there is that he spins around the earth fast enough to reverse the flow of the earth, which therefore also reverses the flow. I don't of I don't think that's what it is it's, going on there, but that's that's definitely what's implied. I think it's that he's going so fast that he starts moving backwards through time and it's showing the backwards through time. And it shows the earth reversing. No, okay, to, that's that makes more sense. Doesn't it though? That's doesn't that's it? That's okay, that's believable. I mean, as much as, you know, the Ooh, concept yeah. of Superman like, is believable. Let me let me put it this way. What the heck do I know about going that fast? Nothing. Maybe right. you do go back in time. Right. According to some <laughs> physicists, yes, you would. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, so, like, maybe. Okay, that makes more sense. But, yeah. He, no, but it looks like it, he makes the Earth reverse by going yeah, so fast. But it's all to fix this small stakes thing. Right. Right? The mission within the mission that is actually being alluded to the whole time. The whole time. Right. And I was actually going to bring up Lois Lane. She is the... She is always the mission in the mission within for Superman. Yeah, totally. Which is why it's a trope that gets made fun of frequently, because it's always Lois Lane. Right. Um, but no, having somebody or something in danger that people care about, and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a person. It could be somebody's reputation. It could be uh, the livelihood of somebody. It could be... I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities mm -hmm. like this. So long as it relates to actual people, or I guess NPCs who aren't real people, they're all in the mind, but... Yeah, I was going to say, actual people is a really strong thing to no. say there. <laughs> as, as long as it's on a smaller <laughs> scale, is what I'm trying to say. I love this. I love this idea too much. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to play in this space. Because okay. I, I love this idea that, like, I, the Dungeon Master, have documents that will defame Ben Carson. <laughs> and if you, the player, do not succeed, <laughs> I will release these documents through WikiLeaks. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. I love that of all the people you could have picked, you picked Ben Carson. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why he was the one who came out, but Ben Carson's a good pick. I have documents that will defame Bernie Sanders. <laughs> well, no, you can't pick somebody like Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump just because they're too much in the spotlight. That's true. Already. I literally picked the perfect person. You on picked the like first time. you picked somebody that like oh yeah that could be really damaging to their reputation. But yeah, like no, like I picked like the perfect name. It's very good. Um or. <laughs> Yeah, I just love this idea that there's, like, a mission within a mission. Or, like, we have, like, a movie coming up starring Ryan Gosling. And, like, if you, the players, do not succeed, I'm going to send a letter that will replace him with Ben Affleck. Oh. And, like, 
<laughs> so I'm just like, you better succeed at this Dungeons oh. & Dragons level. Oh my gosh, that's very like good. some real cloak and daggers. That's of, very, very I mean good. the film, not like the Right, concept. right, right, right. Uh, man, that's super good. No, but uh, it's by it's by creating characters that they care about that yeah, no matter how big the stakes, stakes are, if those stakes are going to directly impact that person, then it's then it's very interesting and it's very good. Uh, and then if you can keep track of the time in there with it and be like, no, like, if you don't accomplish the mission by such and such time, this person will yeah. lose whatever they're going to lose. Realistic consequences are good, too. Uh, like the Dark Knight, right? We think about the Dark Knight a lot when we Dark talk Knight about this Dark Knight is such a good one for consequences. There's the two things. There's, like, the, the split attention scene. Spoilers for the Dark Knight. Spoilers. Where, where Joker requires them to go after Harvey or Rachel. Mm-hmm. And he sends each of them to rescue someone. And I don't know. I saw that film like a long time ago. But like, I saw it very recently. Correct me if I'm wrong. Rachel dies, and Harvey gets burned to crap. Right? Yeah. Because that's what happens when you play with fire. Yeah. Like, like this. Depending on the realism of your campaign, like the whole setup of like. The, one of them is going to survive. It's not realistic. One of them is going to get really badly burned. Oh, <laughs> no and it's the setup for it too is really kind of horrifying. Because well, he and he flips the two, right? Yeah, he flips the location of the two. So he lies to Batman and he says that Rachel's at one location and Harvey's at the other. So Batman gives into his human nature and go rescues Rachel, but it turns out to be Harvey. Oh, it's so he botches that too. Oh no, he doesn't. He actually does great. But what happens is Harvey's been trying to escape. Oh, that's right. He tips and, himself and tips himself, and he gets coated in that's oil. That's right. And then, and which is what I meant. Nice. The setup is horrifying. Like you yeah. can see this all coming a mile Especially away. Especially if you know anything about Harvey Dent. Especially right. if you know anything about Harvey. Also Dent. makes way more sense than falling in acid. Way more sense, but I mean, oh, it's terrifying. It's good. It's, it's good very stuff. good. And the point is, what's that actor's name? I'm not sure. We we used to know. Christian Bale. No, no. <laughs> Heath Ledger. Harvey. Gary Oldman. Stop. Michael Caine. Wow, that's a star-studded cast, huh? Yeah, it is. That's why those movies are so good, is because those are all well, great actors. They're also written really well. They're also written really well, and the cinematography is very good. There's, there's a lot to love. Okay, point so. is that the, the setup there, we see the whole time, even though we see Batman figuring out the information, we keep cutting back to the NPC learning stuff. Uh, in fact... Aaron Eckert. Uh, Aaron Eckert, thank you. In fact, uh, there is something that I've heard that you can do in D&D, which I've never done before, but I'm very excited to try here this next week. You can do cutscenes in D&D, where all you do is you describe something that happens off-screen for the players to build a sense of urgency. Right. Right. We've seen that happen a couple of times. Yeah, Greg has done it. Greg has done it. Logan's done it in Monster of the Week. Thank you. That's more what I was um, thinking, but Greg has done it. Greg's done it. You've done it. I'm going to do it here soon. Uh, and it's something that you can do. So do do cutscenes that are off screen that the players can't interact with, but yep. reaffirms that sense of that's, urgency. That's how you build suspense and, and urgency. Um, I think that's a really good way. You want to go behind the screen? I think so. I see you glance over there at the time, like how long we've been doing this. Yeah. It tells me that's probably a good indication. Yeah, like that's, I was just trying to get the feel for Let's it. Let's get over there. Yeah, I got caught in Aaron Eckert's filmography. I think he was in Frasier, which is nuts. That is kind of nuts. Get off of his filmography. We've yeah, got a podcast we're good. We're, good. we're recording a podcast. I've been recording it the whole time. Uh, so this was also another question that we got about plot hooks. And I think if I remember right, it was a two-pronged question. One, how do you get players to follow the plot hooks you set? And two... What happens if they don't? Like, what do you do? And this was actually 
it was tailored to a campaign that I had been running was the question because it came from one of our players. And he was like, hey, I remember you had a bunch of plot hooks for us and this one never happened. Like we never, we never chased it. So right. like, was anything supposed to happen there? Hey, Logan, do you know what was supposed to happen there? With that plot hook? Yeah, it does happen, right? Yeah. Like, this was from day one I had this plan. Yeah, I remember us writing this. Yeah. Because we sat down, it was probably right when we first started doing this podcast, right? Right about the same time, yeah. We sat down and we, we wrote the the goblins were going to attack the village. If the players didn't if do anything about it. If the didn't do anything about the goblins in the woods. So I guess there's a decimated village in that campaign. Yep. <laughs> I wish I could say that was the most effed up you made in that campaign, but it's not, unfortunately. So <laughs> not, not necessarily the most... I'm not trying to be scathing, but that was not the most complimentary thing I could have said. Um, yeah, I... But yeah, that's the thing that I guess happened in that campaign, is that the goblins attacked the village, which is nuts. So when we get back to the village, we will find that it has been decimated. Yep. Spoilers for that campaign, I guess, if anybody's playing in it. Yeah. Uh, and the idea with that is I set kind of an arbitrary deadline, but I basically said, okay, if they pursue X amount of plot hooks and this is not one of them, this will happen. Man, I must have not been metagaming because I would have lobbied for that pretty hard if I was. <laughs> oh, well. You tried to talk me out of doing it and I pretended that you had. I tried to talk you out of what? Having the village be destroyed if we didn't, if you guys didn't pursue that plot hook. Oh, because I still think it's a bad idea. But like, I'm not going to take that back. In fact, this might be something we disagree on. Um, how do you get players to follow a plot hook? Step one, make a plot hook. Yeah. Uh, this right, let's, let's get critical. Let's get critical of what you did in this campaign. Oh, boy. Uh, you did not give us a plot hook. Nope. You gave us like a, a narrative framing. Like, just to say, like, ah, oh, there have been some rumors of goblins in the woods. And then, like, oh, we didn't follow up on that, like, vague rumor, so, like, the town's decimated. Yeah. I don't know what to do about that. Like, that's bad. That's bad writing. Sorry. You did it. You did a bad <laughs> one. Uh, so, step one, write a plot hook. Yep. Let's let's explore this a So, little. what does that mean, then, to write a plot hook? Because, apparently, based on what you said, a vague rumor is not a plot hook. Yep. Not at all. And I would agree. So, what is a plot hook? Well, it has to go into the plot. So, for okay. example, of like, if you can, like, let's take an, an essay, right? Okay. Say I write a five-page essay, and somewhere in that essay, I put the sentence, "There's vague rumors." An average layman reading that essay is gonna miss it. Yep. If that's your plot hook, oh, you done goofed. You've done goofed. You really, you really have to lay down some foreshadowing. Yeah. Right? So, like, if it's not mentioned two or three times, you shouldn't destroy a town over it. I agree. So, the first step is setting the hook. Right? There's a lot to do in the way of, like, you can have a really popular NPC mention something about it. Mm -hmm. That's way different from a vague rumor. Even if it's a vague rumor from an NPC they know, yep. it's going to take you further. Right? Yeah, it's like, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of a solid example from a campaign we've played in. Or, no, not even, like, a popular NPC. Uh, one of the campaigns I'm running, the Princes of the Apocalypse one, there is a commander of a tower named Thurl Moroska, and the players, whenever they questioned him about stuff when they were interacting with him, because he was such a prominent figure in the society, mm -hmm. they took what he said essentially as law, as far as like what's actually going on in the world. They trusted whatever they got from him, and any like vague stuff that he like stuff that he shied away from, they took as hyper important because of who he was. Yeah. So who who delivers the messages? I get that. I see what you're is saying. Is what you're saying? Yeah, I, they don't be well liked. No, like. 
Greg had a character we've talked about a little on the show before named Crusus, who we all hated. Mm. Hated Crusus. This crusty guy. Um, well if, done, Greg. Well done. If Crusus had had like said something that was like rumor, we yeah. we all would have taken it seriously because of who Crusus was. He was like this commander and like really high right. rank guy who like wouldn't just say stuff like that, right? Um, who had like a reputation to uphold and things like that. Right. So yeah, they don't have to be well liked, but they do have to be like meaningful. Right. Um, in some way, right? Uh, another way you can help get players to follow plot hooks is to not give them too many. Yeah. Right. Uh, when you and I wrote that first campaign, we we were working really hard to establish like an open world. Yep. And this would have been why I advised against this consequence is because what would have happened is, um, like the the other plot hook, the one we did follow, was like, hey, there's cultists on an island who are summoning Mephistopheles, and it's like, okay, 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 like hold on, <laughs> like to to have that in the same world as like, like. What you essentially did is you crafted a mission, mm-hmm. and then a mission outside the mission that if we didn't complete, the mission in the mission has failed. So, another spoiler. No matter what you guys did, the town was going to get destroyed in some way. Oh, this is a great example of plot hooks, then. This is like another thing you just don't do, right? Right. Like, that's not a hook. That's right. a plot event that you've scheduled. Right. So, like, don't act like it's a hook. Right. The hook was, which direction are you guys going to follow? Both of these paths, in my mind, were eventually going to lead you guys to the same conclusions of the story. Like, as far as, like, what information you start to gather and whatnot. But they would just be totally different missions and styles. We're going to talk about that a little more later over a nice grilled cheese sandwich, because I don't see how the heck that's possible. Unless the goblins were carrying a deck of many things in their back pocket, (laughs) which is the wildest thing that could ever happen. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that later over a nice grilled cheese sandwich, because I disagree with you strongly. But uh, what do you do if they don't? If you don't, apparently you just, like, kill everyone. (laughs) Right, that's exactly (laughs) what I do. Uh, No, Uh, so I feel like there's basically three things you can do if a player doesn't follow a plot hook. There's the kind of plot hook where you can just drop it and leave it alone. That That's the end of it. Nothing ever comes of it. Sure. The second is recycle it and use it later. Yes. And the third is there is a consequence for not pursuing something. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so let's talk about like what you might put in each category. Yeah, so the just drop it and leave it alone ones. Let's say that there is a plot hook. Now, of course, I'm blanking, so I'm trying to stall for time. But... Let's say there's a plot hook. They're all on an island, let's say. That's where they're... There's a city and an island that they've stopped by. It's a port town. And they're doing some things. And they get given the opportunity to, like, go on a quest to investigate something going on near the beach on the other side of the island. And they just go, well, no, we're not going to. And what was there is maybe, like, I don't know, like, a coven of hags or whatever. And they're just messing with the with the weather around the island. And then the players leave the island... Drop it, sure. leave it alone, nothing, never no, comes back. Nothing, as far as the players, is yep. important there, right? That yep. would be important to the people of the island. Right. What I think is more is better to put in this is... Because that's something I would recycle. Sure. If you, if you've written even as co- I was saying it, I was like... If you've written uh, a covenant of hags, you should put that somewhere else. I was like, even as I was saying it, I'm like, <laughs> I just said covenant of hags, that's recyclable, so yeah, no, easy. No, no. But think about it this way. Player relationships, right? Let's say you have an NPC who can help the player make a better sword. Okay. Like, you might keep the stats for the sword and recycle those later. Yeah. But, like, they don't need to become friends with the blacksmith. And if they don't pursue the, the blacksmith thread, 
and like help the blacksmith with like the rats in his basement or whatever, they don't need to get the better sword. It just doesn't they, or maybe they don't get the better armor with the Nike swoosh on it. Right, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> anyway, um, the other thing that I think is like really important to note here is like um, with player relationships is like uh, some dungeon masters are big on this. Some dungeon masters are like less big on this. It's like relationships for your player characters, like romantic relationships. Mm. All of those, all of those can just be dropped if your players aren't going to pursue it. Like, if you're writing yep. in, like, potential romance, which is something we're going to have to do in Monster of the Week... I know. Which is gross, because we're going to have to record a scene where I play a woman <laughs> who is falling in love with a character in this... Because of stuff we decided at the beginning of the way Monster of the Week works, and I'm, like, not looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> but aren't you just a little, like... No, not at all. Are you kidding me? That's going to be so crusty. Anyway, so... But, like, uh... the all-player romance stuff, that can be dropped and left alone, if you're if you've written it in, like let's yep. say like you do not under any circumstances need to bring the farmer's daughter back because she was the one who was made for the like no like if it's not like a, an essential plot that you wrote like essential like stats for just like let it die yeah and even if you did let it die well yeah especially with relationships like that let uh, the past the, die if kill it's it NPC if you have specific to. yes kill it if you have to if it's NPC specific drop it yep if it's area or locale specific recycle it. Yeah. And then if it's, like, world-specific, you just need to, like, make consequences. Yep. And, I mean, world is such a loose term, too, because, like, the world might just be, like, the continent, for example. Like, whatever sure. the world is to the players and the people living in it. Well, like Skyrim, right? Right. Like, the world of Skyrim is, like, a continent on... Right. Name the planet. Bethesda. Stop. <laughs> I was hoping you could name the planet because I can't remember it. That was pretty good, wasn't it? The planet is named Morag. No, it isn't. Stop. The, <laughs> the planet is named... Okay, just keep going. No, but... And so the world can be really small or it can be really big. They could be, like, as big as a multiverse. Uh, but that's just kind of the thing. You make these characters... Not these characters. You make these plot hooks, depending on kind of their scale and impact, have different consequences. No consequence that the players ever know about. Tamriel. I knew that. Tamriel. Thank you. So that the players never know about, like they never know that they could have fallen in love with the blacksmith's daughter. Totally, whatever. Uh, or you have it so that it's recyclable, like the Coven of Hags, or really just about any plot hook you ever have can be recycled. Yeah, I just wouldn't. Right. Well, such a loose term. How 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 specific is your plot hook? Yeah, that's true. And you can always take down the dressing of it and give it back yeah. later. You can always reskin things. You can always retool things. I'm not saying you throw it all away. Right. Like, you should you should definitely scrap parts of plot points yeah. and, and put them somewhere else if you're not using them. Because if you think they were good, then they're probably good. Yeah. And, like, uh, using just the standard example of the necromancer. You can have a necromancer that is in the woods, and it's a perfect encounter for a first-level party. Totally. Or you can have a necromancer who's actually a lich and is, like, building up his own kingdom. Perfect for a 20th level party. Like, yeah, you just got to rewrite it. Um, this is actually something that's really important. I want to talk a little bit more about, like, that last set, though, not recycling. Yeah. The last set of consequences. Yeah. Uh, Monster of the Week has some really good tools here. Yeah, let's talk about some of those. Yeah, I'm going to have to pull up my Monster of the Week notes real quick because they, they give specific names to the way that you do this. Yeah, now, I haven't looked at the actual rules for Monster of the Week, except for what's on my character sheet for right, that. Right, except for what I've sent you, right? Right. Um, but... But because the game is so narratively driven, it sounds like it's got a lot of advice for these kinds of things. Yeah, 100%. So there is... When you're going through and you're, 
you're like setting up your monster and those kinds of things um, it gives you the option to to like essentially set up what will happen if the hunters don't show up right if the okay. players never come um, they want to they want you to pay attention to like what you think will happen and I thought I'd taken some notes on this but essentially they divide it into five subcategories right okay so they start with uh, like sunset like sundown and then it's like nightfall and then it's like or like sunset twilight nightfall like pitch black and then midnight is I can't remember the exact names they give to it right and you're not required to stick to those time frames by right in fact in the book it like is explicit like don't but it times. uses those because those are really easy to remember and think in terms and, of and monsters. And like think in terms of things getting worse and worse, right? So when you take a look at like what what's going on as far as like in the world, right, um, and where things are headed, like it's really easy to see like oh things are getting perpetually blacker and blacker. In the Monster of the Week book, they like include a sample adventure, and it's like the story of like a fairy king named Oberon who has oh, sure. had, he's had a yeah. We all know Oberon. And he's he's struck a bargain with some local townsfolk, but he did it like a thousand years ago. Huh. And like now like the townsfolk aren't keeping their end of the bargain and so he they're supposed to like give a child up every forty years. It's like a thing, like the like a child, like a desirable child. And like these people aren't doing it. And so he's like, Well, we're gonna take the child like because they're not keeping their end of the bargain. And they were doing it like they were like exchanging for Oberon's like blessings, right? And so like the beginning is like, oh, like he had Oberon's like really dangerous, but he has two two lackeys, right? One of whom is like a changeling child that was like stolen forty years before. Oh, cool! Yeah, she looks like she's thirteen because you don't age in fairy very much. But sure. Like, and then like there's this big brute, right? This is like a really common setup. Like people who have pay, played Cave Story are like familiar with like the like little girl and big brute setup yep. of like fairy archetypes. Yeah, they're like fairy archetypes, right? So like they, but like you say like okay, the beginning is like they make a little bit of trouble in town. Then the next step is like, okay, they find the child they're planning to take. Then the next step is like, they take the child and then it's like, they destroy the town and then like midnight is like, everybody has to leave or die. Yeah. Like that's like, the town is just, the full wrath of Oberon has been like, but then like, that's what would happen if they're not there. You write that plot, that way you just know. If they don't do it, this is what happens. So this means that Dylan, for example, has to go face this mo these monsters, for example, and so you've got a plot from sundown to midnight of what happens if Dylan and Bo don't go face the monsters. I do have that. I thought I had that. Yeah, I'm not. If I don't have it, I'm gonna have to rewrite it. Oh, that sucks. I've been looking for it though. I because I definitely it's something that I created. Um, as far as like, oh yeah, there is there are consequences to like oh if you don't do it, like this is what happens. Yeah. Which I think is great, and I think that those kinds of consequences to build into the world in general are really good, particularly if you have any sort of malevolent force in the world that the players have to deal with. This is one of the things that can make any tabletop role-playing game different from a video game. Right. Although, speaking of video games with like actively malevolent forces that if you as the player don't do something within a time limit, it's going to go bad, Majora's Mask totally. is a great example of this. Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask... You have in-game 72 minutes to save the world. You're not going to do it. It's never going to happen in those 72 minutes. Uh, so you have spells that let you reverse the flow of time and start those three days over. Um, but, yeah, like it creates a sense of urgency. You have to pick and choose what you're going to do with your time really carefully because you go, 
every time you restart the time, you're like, well, each minute is an hour. I only have 72 of these minutes to right. do what I'm going to do. So I think that actually is about it as far as advice. I think that's it. Like, I like honestly, the big thing is to make sure that you have a calendar and stick to it, which is funny that we come full circle on this. Yeah. If you're going to have real consequences, don't do them arbitrarily. Yeah. Plan them out. Yeah. You want to go back? Let's go back. Welcome to Beggar's Corner. Beggar's Corner is that part of the show where we tell you how you, the adoring fans, can get in contact with us. And also, I do have something to beg for this time, uh, which is, if you like the show, tell a friend. Yeah. Like, I know we're, like, I know we do a lot of just, like, spitballing and just, like, saying stuff and, like, making jokes and stuff, but, like, if this is your thing, like, if you're hearing this and, like, no, I like this show, tell somebody about it, please. We, like, we don't pay a cent to advertise it anymore, because that would be insane. Particularly at this point. Yeah, no, like, that, like, I never see that happening, because I just don't, like, either this is somebody's thing or it isn't. Yeah. If it's your thing, like, we're glad to have you along for the ride, but, like, if it's not your thing... Yeah. And even if, like, let's just pretend this were to get big, I can't even then see advertising oh, yeah, for it. No, no. Like, I... It, like, self-promoting, sure, all the time. But. Yeah, totally. I, But, like, I, if you like it, share it with a friend, because that's the only way that, they, like, people are going to find this. Yeah. Um, we appreciate you listening. We do. We really do. So, yeah, you can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, yeah. Twitter.com slash initiative underscore roll, or Which, at initiative underscore roll on Twitter. Has actually been popping recently. Yeah, there's been a lot of tweets coming out from uh, one half of the show. Yep. I'll tell you... Um, you do really great with it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. It's not me. <laughs> He's just being self-aggrandizing in a way that's very illusory, which is yep. very funny. Um, it's a good comedy. Yeah. Kids love it. Uh, I've been trying to figure out how the tweeter works, as the kids say. The good old tweeters. Um, um, you can find us on Instagram. Yeah. At initiative underscore roll or, or Instagram.com slash initiative underscore roll. Um, easiest way to get to those pages. Uh, we just post general updates on both of those pages. Twitter now has jokes, I guess. We, yeah. We got jokes on Twitter. We got jokes. We ask questions sometimes. We ask questions. We tell no lies. Yep. That's actually the funny thing about this podcast is one of us is always lying and the other one is always, always. telling the truth. So you're going to have to figure out which one's which. One of my favorite D&D jokes actually has to do with that. Party comes up against a group that it's one person is always lying and one person is always telling the truth. And... Doctor Quest? And, yes. And the wizard's like, oh, this is easy. I know how to solve this one. And the barbarian goes, Rawr! and just like takes the head off of one of the guys. And they're like, what did you do? And he says to the one who's left alive, he's like, is he dead? And the guy's like, no. And he's like, great, he's the liar. <laughs> right? Like, it's just, it's so good, right? It's primo. Primo <laughs> D&D content. It's super great. Uh, but yeah, we've also got our blog that this is... <laughs> you know how I'd solve that problem? How you solved what problem? I'd ask who the prettiest member of the party was. And if it's not my character, we know that that's the liar. Obvi, obvi, obvi. I just play the bard, so. So it's a, it's a guaranteed thing. Speaking of bards, boy, do we have a dedication for this one? Is Pat- it the bard, Patrick Rothfuss? Oh no, is the dedicate? Wait, who- Shakespeare. <laughs> No, that'd be good, though. Like, I was like, he's going into it. He's going for it. I don't know why they call Shakespeare the bard. Yeah. As far as I know, dude did not have a songwriting track record. Sonnets, maybe? Kind of? Oh, that's a good point. 
You then don't have to be set to music to be like lyrical. I did not think about that. I forgot about like his 150 sonnets. <laughs> you forgot about like his second most famous bit of work. Ladies, if he writes you a sonnet, it's because he likes you. If he writes 150 sonnets for you, it's because he likes sonnets. Yep. <laughs> not that sh- Not that bard. Uh, no, uh, we're going to talk about Patrick Rothfuss. A uh, book I just finished reading is his fantasy novel, The Name of the Wind. I started the second one in the series, The Wise Man's Fear, and hopefully before I die, I'll come out with the third, uh, which is called Doors of Stone. You make Uh, it sound like you're going to die sometime soon. No, but this is just a problem fantasy writers have. If you ask Marty Swihart, Pet Whisperer, I am destined for tragic death at age 27. (laughs) We've been over this. By the way, take note, folks. Podcast will be over. (laughs) Um, Unless we can find you another host. Greg, it's... Uh, Oh, yeah, that's true. Greg. Greg will still be kicking. Anyway, but... uh, no, Patrick Rothfuss, uh, King Killer Chronicles is the name of that trilogy. Uh, it's about a guy named Kvoth, and Kvoth is... What? Kvoth? Kvoth, yes. Kvoth? No L. Kvoth. Kvoth. Or Coat. Uh, okay. It's it's really it's really framed quite well. Uh, fans of Dungeons & Dragons will really like this, I think, because if you haven't already read it, he, he frames... It's the story of Kvoth as told by Kvoth. So it, it there's third-person elements where it's like, Oh, the 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 chronicler comes to Kavoth and and talks to Kavoth and they have a discussion and Kavoth finally agrees to tell his story. Kavoth, this big legendary figure in the world, and then the next like third of the book is in first person as Kavoth tells his story, which like is a really clever framing device because it gives Roth, this is the writer, a lot of room for error. Like he can like mess up because it's like framed in this really clever narrative device. He doesn't really screw up. He's like brilliant, but like he could. The room is there. Yeah, like he could like accidentally contradicting himself. Like, I've noticed a couple things like, I'm like, hey, no, like, stop. But maybe but, like, the, they're intentional contradictions. Yeah, like, who knows? Even. The room is there for the contradiction, right? But it's really, really clever. Um, it, Kvoth is... Well, I won't spoil too much of the book, but he's a bard. Kvoth, oh, very Kvoth's nice. Kvoth's a bard. Um, like, and, like, a really good one. Like, he's just this silver-tongued fighter who is just a wizard on the loot and just, like, goes to the university to study magical... Well, that's, like, that's in his own thing. But he, like, his whole thing is, like, becoming this legendary hero is the plot of this series. That's really cool. Right? And so it's all told from the perspective of the washed-up, no longer a legendary hero. The level 21 character in Dungeons & Dragons. That's really cool. Will, tells the story. And there's there's narrative that happens surrounding that character, the aged character. But, like, the bulk of the book is, like, him telling his story of how he got to be where he is. It's very good. Huh. Um, anyway, so... Hats off to Rothfuss for, like, just really clever framing of a story, as well as, like, a really interesting, like, fantasy setting in general. Yeah, that's really cool. Speaking of really interesting fantasy settings... Yes. Uh, so, people, most astute listeners, <laughs> will notice that we have not been doing a Bard Corner. No. Uh, we've been substituting that with some Monster of the Week. I hope y'all like it. it we haven't actually gotten any feedback on it, which I, is... It's a little concerning. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, I'm going to keep making it, whether you guys like it or not. Yeah. You can't stop me. I, like, I can I'll, stop you. No, you can't. Our listener count will drain to zero before I <laughs> stop making Monster of the Week. Um, and so, yeah, but we, that's what we've been putting in there. So we hope you guys like it. It's hard to hard to know for sure, but... Um, yeah, so that's where we're going to go now. Yeah. More Monster of the Week. Is this scene three? It, I think it is. Scene three? Cool. So we cut back to Dylan. Oh man, I yeah we're we're actively writing that too again. Like we're, yeah. we're back in the saddle as far as. Oh, it's been fun to be writing that we, again. 
yeah, we finally have, have gotten to some really interesting crossroads. Uh, so hopefully you guys are continuing to enjoy it, and we'll go ahead and turn it. Well, before we actually go there, let's give a brief what Monster of the Week is and how we've been playing it. Okay, yeah, so Monster of the Week is... Just in case you're new. Is, yeah, if, if you're not familiar, Monster of the Week is a role-playing game. It's designed with the Apocalypse World system, or the Powered by the Apocalypse system, which is essentially all die rolls are determined by rolling 2d6, zero, or 1 through 6, or 2 through 6, you can't roll Right. One. Two through six is a failure. Well, anything six or lower, because you can't have minuses on stuff. That's like true. You can have minuses on your abilities. So anything less than six is a failure. Hard failure. Six or less. Oh, yeah, that's right. Six or less, hard failure. The Keeper, as it's called, the Keeper of Mysteries and Magics or whatever they... The Dungeon Master. Name. The Dungeon Master uh, is then allowed to take a hard move. Always. Yep. Which is to say, like, something that is particularly tragic or dangerous to your character happens when you fail that hard. But... That's the only way you can gain experience. Eh, there's two ways you can gain experience in Monster of the Week. That's one. Oh, really? What's the other way? Uh, at the end of a session... In Monster oh, of the Week, at the end of the session thing. You mark right. things and you answer questions about like how you did. For but we don't really adventure. have that. In our oh, we'll get there. It'll be at the end of the hunt. Okay. Yep. So, so yeah, you, you can get experience other ways, but the main way is by failing, which is like right. really funny. And, like, I, I really good. like that. Your character gets stronger by rolling bad. So, like, I like this mechanic because it it disincentivizes, like, lying about your roles. Yeah. Not that, like, we could do that in our Monster of the Week anyway, because we're playing it text-based, and I've found a little robot that lets us roll dice in the chat. That Which we're is using. so cool. Yeah. So, anyway, um, but it's all about narrative framing. The fact of the matter is, in Monster of the Week, why I prefer it to Dungeons & Dragons, um, you make the setting as the keeper, and then it's the player's job to fill it out. Essentially. Yep. You essentially leave blank space. A lot the... of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much like Taylor Swift. And your players write their name, not you. Right. Um, but yeah, so I like it a lot as a, like a way of framing new narratives and collaborative storytelling. And so that's like what we're doing, and we're doing it over a chat. Yep. So it takes a lot of time to write and put together. But we think that it makes it so that it's less improv than an actual role-playing session is. So we hope that you've been enjoying the more scripted format uh, that's still a game that we're playing. Yeah, a lot of like actual play podcasts out there don't script it. They just kind of like go for it, which is like cool and yeah, fun. And I listen totally. to The Adventure Zone every time they release a new episode. And I'll probably do that until I die or they die or whatever happens. Or the show us. dies. Or the star death of the universe. Heat death, please. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> or like when the aliens finally come. I don't know. Anyway, but we hope you've been enjoying it. That's Monster of the Week. Um, seven and nine in Monster of the Week rolls that's like a mixed success and then 10 and above is a full success yeah so like when you hear us roll those numbers that's what's happening there um there's like different mechanics and things like honestly it's it's pretty straightforward so hopefully there's not like a ton of questions about it but that's what's yeah. happening we're just we're playing a game and then we've scripted it a little bit so like there will be times in the recording you'll notice like a weird casual energy come into it that's just because we're trying to make the script less robotic yep so like it's all been written out already so like hopefully you enjoy it and with that said, time to get into Monster of the Week, and we'll see you next when it's time to, to roll, roll initiative. initiative. Yeah, we're ending the show. I know we're ending it.
Dude, I think you've had one too many puffs of herb. Hodge gives a nervous laugh and looks at Dylan. I mean, it wasn't like a real monster, right? You don't need to go all Friday the 13th on me. Hodge throws himself on the ratty couch in their trailer, sprawling out and reaching for the TV remote. Dylan swipes the TV remote and pops out one of the two AA batteries and tosses the now useless remote back to Hodge. Hodge, I mean it. Dylan says, I need to know where it is. Hey man, what the- Hey man, what the- Hodge reaches for the batteries, but his effort is lackluster and he gives up quickly. He lets out a deep sigh before speaking. I don't know, man. It was somewhere off the 28, in the woods around there. What's gotten into you, man? Dylan sighs and closes his eyes. Though earth by magic now is marred, and righteous reputation tarred, the man who asks for members cards shall aid a friend in need. The monsters lie in blackest night to wreck the world with ancient spite, but the man of stories is our light. He'll bust the blocks indeed. He rescues those who call his name and falls in love with a lovely dame. His heart will never be the same as he leaves behind the weed. The monsters fall before his hand. He sends their curse out of the land. He finds himself in service and helps the ghost be freed. He looks sheepishly at Hodge. That's me, dude. Hodge stares at Dylan, jaw agape. Uh, okay, man, should I, uh, should I call someone? No, man, Dylan says, putting the knife and hockey mask down on the table. Look, it's a long story, but the short of it is that a few years back, I realized there were monsters in the world, or, or, or at least there used to be. And I kept digging and figured out that there are some people who have the ability to prophesy. There was one guy, died about six years back, who claimed he could do it. And he lived here in Court of Fleur. Anyway, most people didn't believe him, but he wrote his prophecies down in... Well, Dylan stumbles over his own words for a moment. It doesn't matter what book he wrote it in. But he wrote it, and I found it. Looking at Hodge, he breathes in deep. I have to do this, Hodge. I haven't ever done any good with my life, and this... I think I was born to do this. He grabs the remote back from Hodge and pops the battery back in. Just tell me where it is, man. I have to hunt this thing. He tosses the remote back, though his hands are shaking so hard that he misses by a fair bit. Roll to manipulate someone. <laughs> uh, six minus one, so five. Hard move. Go ahead and mark experience on your character sheet. Done? Dude... You're really spooking me here, Hodge says. He stands up and looks Dylan directly in the eyes. Look, let's talk about this in the morning. I can tell you're serious, but let's just take some time to chill. Let the weed wear off a bit. If you're still sure about this in the morning, we'll talk then, and maybe I'll show you around where it happened. Dylan nods slowly. Okay, but we might want a gun, just in case we find something. You packing? Nah, man, I ain't packing. And the last thing we need right now is you, high and armed. Go ahead, put the knife away, and we'll talk about this later. Hodge seems very serious about not doing anything tonight. If you want to explore and try and learn about the mystery tonight, you'll need to go without him, and, as a result of the hard move, you'll need to leave the trailer without his knowledge. Okay. Dylan puts the knife away. But maybe bring a gun tomorrow, just in case. 
Then he plops down on the couch with two beers, passing one to Hodge. Hodge puts in the gem and the holograms tape and, after a brief rewind, begins the process of calming down after a long, stressful night. Before the tape is finished, Hodge has fallen into a deep sleep. Does Dylan sleep easy? Does he sleep at all? Dylan goes back to the kitchen and practices brandishing the knife for about five minutes before trying to go to sleep. While he sleeps, he dreams restlessly. Awesome. So this is a time, uh, we haven't talked a whole ton about the mechanics of Monster of the Week yet. Uh, Your character's class is what's called the Chosen. Right. Um, He's essentially Destiny's plaything, Destiny's child, and he has a move called, conveniently, Destiny's plaything, which is essentially a move where he will roll to have a vision. Um, So go ahead and roll for Destiny's plaything. All right. That is going to be 10. Awesome. Sounds good. So Dylan's going to go ahead and have a vision. Okay. Dylan finally falls asleep at 10.12 p.m. As he drifts off to sleep, his dreams are filled with confusing images layered over with colors like a rotoscope film sequence. A manor house ablaze with white light surrounded by sinister figures. A dark lake with something stirring beneath the surface. An African man in an old suit complete with ascot and breeches. A bright green sign reading Catahoula National Wildlife Refuge, one mile. And a black, hunched, inhuman figure beneath that sign. The figure looks up, a misshapen head facing you. It knows that it's being watched. Dylan snaps awake, drenched in a cold sweat. 10.26 p.m. <laughs> 